0: Amen, church. I invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter forty-six this morning. Genesis chapter forty-six, and while you're turning there, I just want to say uh, I don't think I've said this in a long time, and if I've, maybe I've never said this before, but thank you for the privilege I get, I have to get to preach the word each week. Uh, you know, I was uh, uh, talking to someone this past week, and and. Uh, reminiscing over the fact that before I became your pastor, I would, I would just long and itch for those occasional opportunities to preach and the opportunity to open God's Word. And uh, I've got a journal in my office where I record all the sermons, every passage, the date, and where it's preached at and those kind of things. And, and before I came here, that, that journal, you know, it it was filling up a page or so, but, but every single week, I, I get to do this. And I was talking to a pastor friend of mine this week, and we were talking about how what a privilege it is uh, to get to share the Word of God with uh, God's people and, and what wonderful churches that we got to do that in. And so thank you so much. It's so encouraging whenever um, I invite you to open God's Word. I look across this room, and you're opening your Bibles. That's a blessing. Uh, there was a time a few years ago... Uh, that didn't happen. And, and I remember when we started observing that, it was Cleve Jackson that brought it to my attention. He said, hey, by the way, I've noticed something. Uh, people that used to not bring their Bibles to church, they're bringing them with them now. And they're opening the Bible. And, and they're looking at God's Word. And, and I just want to tell you, God's doing some good stuff. And, and, and we get to see that. We get to be a part of that. And, and, and even now, during this, this time we have uh, to, to study His Word, God's doing so many wonderful, wonderful things. You know, when we know that something's a sure thing, it changes the way we live or act. Right? When we know that something's guaranteed, it changes some things. I remember in high school, and some of y'all may have experienced this, uh, my assumption is William Martin probably played a part in his senior prank. Is that right, William? William probably planned the thing, okay? Uh, but you might remember that time, right? You, you know that graduation is on the horizon. You're guaranteed to get the diploma. And they've said, listen, there, there's nothing that can happen now to take this away. And you've got, you got a couple weeks there, right? Where you've done, taken all your tests, right? All, all the exams have been taken and the, and the grades have been submitted. And, and graduation is a guarantee. And so what do seniors do? They, they plan a prank, even the good kids participate in the prank, okay? I never got in trouble in school. I never participated in any of that nonsense. and never was anything I got excited about. But I remember on, on graduation day, I would ignored all the other pranks. But I remember on graduation day, they came to me and said, Hey, Jared, here's this bouncy ball. You need to put it in your pocket. You know those super balls, you know you take it, and you, you, you bounce it on the ground and it'll go straight to the ceiling, okay? And, and there were you know, hundreds of kids in my graduating class at the time and they, everyone had one of these bouncy balls. And I had no choice but to participate. And I can't tell you, as the kid that was the good kid, I, I had some anxiety about this. I thought, man, what if they do take our diplomas away? I didn't know what they had planned. They said, just watch, you'll figure it out. It's okay. So... We started. They started calling out the names, and, and, and they're calling us out in order of graduation. I watched a few people in front of me go through, and, and they took the bouncy ball, and as they got their diploma from the principal, they handed the bouncy ball to her. And they got their diploma and walked off the stage just smiling. Well, the first few times, it wasn't a problem. She just took the bouncy ball and put it in her pocket. Well couple hundred kids later uh, they weren't prepared for this okay and so they're they're pulling baskets out and they're throwing the balls these baskets they bring a trash can out and it's full of these bouncy balls right and, and they're bouncing across the stage and all this stuff see we did that because it was guaranteed it's guaranteed we got that diploma it was guaranteed and it changed the way every kid behaved listen Brothers and sisters, when we know of the guaranteed promises of God, it ought to change the way we live. It ought to change the way we act. It ought to change the way we look at things completely. Well, it happened for Jacob and his family right here in Genesis 46. He he took some steps of faith. He made some commitments. And the reason he was able to do those things is because he knew the promises of God. Uh, He he knew uh, the guarantees of God. He knew that God had had come through before and God was going to keep coming through. And so it changed the way he conducted his life. And that should be true for all of us today. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to jot this down. Our lives reflect, or they should reflect, our willingness to trust God's promises. Again, it ought to change something about us. It ought to change the way we talk, the way we uh, conduct ourselves in our families, in our workplaces, even in our churches. It should change something about us if we are living and we're trusting within the promises of God. I invite you to stand and honor God's word. Genesis chapter 46, I'm going to read just verses um, 1 through 7. Genesis chapter 46 and verses 1 through 7. Israel, and keep this in mind, Israel is interchangeable with Jacob right here, okay? And that happens a lot in Genesis, so don't get confused there. Israel or Jacob set out with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba, and he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. That night, God spoke to Israel in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he said. Jacob replied, here I am. God said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you back. Joseph will close your eyes when you die. Jacob left Beersheba. The sons of Israel took their their father, Jacob, and the wagons Pharaoh had sent to carry him along with their dependents and their wives. They also took their cattle and possessions they had acquired in the land of Canaan. Then Jacob and all his offspring with him came to Egypt, his sons and grandsons, his daughters and granddaughters. Indeed, all his offspring he brought with him to Egypt. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is timeless and true, that it's effective. And so, God, we ask that you would do a good and effective work today in our hearts, whether we are walking with you already or we're far from you. God, we know that this word can can meet us right where we are, that you'll draw us closer to yourself, or you'll draw draw those that are farthest from you into relationship with you. God, again, we trust you to do a work only you can do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Knowing and trusting God's promises dictated the way that Jacob would walk through the final years of his life. All right? We need to understand that there was a, a change that had taken place. And, and from the way that he walked through these days, we're also going to see how we should live in light of the promises of God. Some things that should be true about us, some things that should be identifiable about who we are as God's people. First, consider this in verses 1 and 2. When we worship, we remember God's promises. When we worship, we remember God's promises. Again, knowing God's promises, you can say it this way, is going to change the way we worship. All right. We see in verses 1 and 2 that Jacob's departure from the land that he was living in at the time, it drove him to worship. There's a few details in these verses that reveal to us about what his knowledge of God was then, what God was teaching him at that time, and how worship is going to take shape because of that. First, consider this. Worship expresses our gratitude for God's faithfulness. It's an expression of what God has already done in the past, not what he might or may not do in the future. We see this first in in where he came to worship. He came to this place called Beersheba. Again, when you come across geographic locations in the Bible, if you're studying the Bible for yourself, uh, it's a good thing. You come across these proper names. Look these things up. Where else does this place show up in the Bible? What is significant about this location? You can do that for yourself as well. And so if we look up Beersheba, we learn a lot about it from the book of Genesis, in fact. And where it comes up again and again in these turning points. So Genesis chapter 21, for example. We find there that, that Abraham planted a tree as a marker of his trust in God. Uh, That God had reaffirmed his covenant with him in Genesis 21. And at Beersheba, it says, he planted a tree there. I I remember back when we were in Genesis 21, I I called that the stake in the ground, right? This was his stake in the ground in the promised land, the land that wasn't his yet. He planted a tree there on the fringe of the promised land. And he said, this tree is going to mark what God's about to do, all right? Genesis 22 uh, the very next chapter, chapter Abraham's faith sh- was shining the brightest. Remember then that, that God had asked him to sacrifice Isaac, his only son. And he, he was at Beersheba when all of this happened. It's a significant place. And then Genesis 26, as the generations begin to roll, we find that Isaac uh, was there. And the Lord appeared to Isaac at this place. And he affirmed his promises. Not one time, not two times, but three times in one conversation. So Isaac, it says there, he, he built an altar. Here's, here's what happens in worship. Worship, in this case, in Genesis 46, when he came to this place, it was a little bit nostalgic, wouldn't you agree? You know, sometimes we, uh, my generation especially, we, we have a reputation for looking down on things of nostalgia. I think nostalgia is a good thing. It can be a healthy thing if viewed through the right lens. Now, we've got to be careful. Nostalgia can also be idolatry, idolatrous, okay? We can take something that is a good thing and we can put it on a pedestal and exalt it above the things of God. Let me give you an example of some good nostalgia that I witnessed just this morning. We were singing that song, and I brought the bulletin up here with me. He Lives. He Lives, that old hymn. And you know what I observed? I observed the choir had a little giddy up in their step when they sang that song. Now for some in the room, they were, they were kind of hymn and hawing along. You know, they're like, okay, this is a hymn, okay, okay. But I looked up here and I saw, I saw a choir full of people and they were so excited. Why? Because that song had a sense of nostalgia, right? It had a sense of when you're singing, he lives in that way. It was reminding you perhaps of, of the roots of your faith. That's what's happening right here in Genesis 46. When Jacob goes to Beersheba, it's a little bit of nostalgia. He's remembering God's faithfulness. Brothers and sisters, when we come before the Lord in worship, there's a healthy sense of of understanding and remembering what God has done for us. Jacob's actions at Beersheba, though, they communicate something else that should also happen In worship, notice this. This second truth about worship: worship expresses our commitment to God's calling in our lives. Our commitment. It it says there. Notice this in uh, at the end of verse one. It says he offered sacrifices uh, to the God of his father Isaac. Now they offered a lot of sacrifices in the Old Testament. Go to Leviticus; it's all these instructions right on how you're going to do the sacrifices. And I was interested to learn uh, that this particular um, mention of sacrifices is different and unique compared to some of the others. You see, there's two primary forms of sacrifice that we see in the Old Testament. One like right here, and then we also find the burnt offerings. Y'all know those, right? Uh, The burnt offerings, this is what happened when you had a burnt offering. You were making a sacrifice to atone for your sins, And to ask for God's acceptance. That's what was happening. You were were pleading for his mercy when you made that type of sacrifice. But the word that's used here for what Jacob did, uh, it says he offered sacrifice. This word was an expression of thanksgiving and commitment. You see the, the subtle difference? In one, you're asking God for something. You're pleading with God. And in the other act of worship, you're saying, God... I'm all yours. I'm committing myself to you. And I'm thanking you for what you've done. I'm not asking you for anything else. I'm just thanking you for what you've done. And this attitude continues in verse 2. That night God spoke to Israel, it says, in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, by the way, the two names there, it's for emphasis. It means something important is about to happen. Anytime God calls your name twice, you better listen. Jacob replied, Here I am. Here I am. A lot of people in the Old Testament use that phrase when speaking back to God, when he gets their attention, if you will. You remember Moses, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 4. God appears to Moses in a burning bush, calls out to him, again two times, Moses, Moses. And how how does he reply? Here I am. Here I am. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8, that famous missionary passage. God speaks to Isaiah and he says in verse 8, he says back to God, here I am. One that I wasn't reminded of until studying was in Acts chapter 9. It's the only New Testament equivalent that we have of this phrase and it comes to Ananias. You remember Paul was, was called by God and he was struck with blindness And Ananias was called to go and minister to Paul and to teach him about this Jesus. And when God appeared to Ananias, he said the same kind of thing we find here in the Old Testament. He said, here I am. Here I am. Here's what that means. It means that you've offered a blank check to God. It means that, God, I am fully committed. I am fully sold out to what you're about to tell me to do. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time that you said to the Lord, here I am to the great I am. That's what's happening. There's a recognition of who God is. And it's an offering of a blank check to him saying, "God, I'm completely yours. Do with me what you will." So worship does two things. It helps us remember what God's done and expresses our commitment to him. Now what's missing from that list? You're not going to earn anything in worship. You catch that? you're not going to earn anything in worship. When you sing and you offer your praises to God, we don't come to him saying, all right, Lord, I'm here. What you got for me? Famous thing that people say sometimes when they're no longer a part of a church family or they leave a church family and and that severance happens, they might say something like, hey, I don't get anything else out of the worship anymore. It ain't about us, brothers and sisters. It ain't about us. It's about us coming before God. Him and saying, God, thank you for what you've done. And not only thank you, but I'm all yours. Notice this as we look at verses 3 through 27 now. When we live by faith, again, these are things that are markers of our lives when we live in light of the promises of God. That's what's happening for Jacob, it's what happens for us. When we we live by faith, we see God's promises. We live by faith, we see God's promises. A lot of times the reason we fail to see the promises of God is we're not walking by faith. That's the the essence of what faith is, right? It's that we're going to see something that's not necessarily right in front of our face anymore. That's what prayer does for us. This was not in the notes. I'm just going to take a little sidebar here. When we pray, we begin to see things that God's doing. When we pray and we begin to come to the Lord with our petitions, we start to take note of the little things that God's doing. I'm not going to embarrass anybody or call anything up. I'm going to tell you something. There's been things that have happened this morning in this room that are answers to the very prayers that I've been praying. Why do I see them? We pray in faith. We pray in faith. You know, faith is not something you've got to fight for when you understand the character of God. That's what we see happen in the lives of these patriarchs. Some of y'all have came to me and you've said, man, I really appreciate this sermon series in Genesis. You, you really are putting Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob kind of on the chopping block. And when they say that, I kind of cringe. I'm thinking, that's, that's not really what I was trying to do. That's not the point of what we're trying to, to accomplish through the Word of God. What I want you to see is this. That through all of these experiences, they're all learning a little bit about the character of God. They're learning who he is through all of their failures, just like the ones we have. They're learning about the character of God. Again, when you know the character of God, you don't got to fight for your faith anymore. It's kind of like my love for my wife. My beautiful wife who, who, by the way, she turns 35 tomorrow. Happy birthday. Yeah, I said your age. Hey, it's all right. So, I guess we're getting to that point where we don't tell our age anymore, right? Is that We're getting there? Okay, all right. So, anyway... Anyway, I'm sorry, I won't do it next year. So I love my wife, and and, and I don't have to fight to love my wife. Why? Because I know who she is. I know her character. I, I know who she is already. And so even on the difficult days, I'm not having to fight to love her. Listen, brothers and sisters, when we know God intimately, even through the hard things, You don't got to fight for faith anymore. The problem is when we have to fight for faith, here's the flaw. We don't really know who God is. And what we see happening for Jacob here is God begins to tell him who he is and it's going to change the way that he lives. In verses 3 and 4, God describes himself to Jacob. First, notice this. We're going to see a few things here. First, notice this. We live out our faith before a mighty God. We live out our faith before a mighty God. He says in verse 3 God said, I am God, the God of your Father. Uh, When you see the name of God, again, Bible study tip. uh, When you see the name of God, look up and see uh, what particular name of God that is. He's all the same God. Don't miss that. He's the same. But sometimes he uses other words to describe himself to communicate his unique character qualities. So in this case, when we look a little closer, when he says, I'm God, I'm the God of your Father, he's literally saying, I am the mighty God. I'm the mighty God. Uh, The Hebrew word here is Elohim. I'm the mighty God. It's the same word, or the same name rather, that appears in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Again, of course, in Genesis 1-1, we see the mighty hand of God at work through creation. And quite literally, what God is saying to Jacob is, hey, by the way, I'm the same God. I'm the same God that created and sustains the universe, and I'm the same God that is talking to you right now. What a powerful picture that is. God knew it was critical for Jacob to understand this because of what he was about to tell him, what he was about to ask him to do. So notice this, as he begins to ask him some things to do, we we see this second truth about living out our faith. Notice this, we live out our faith in God's abiding presence. In God's abiding presence. Look at verse 3 again. He says, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. This is interesting. We're going to come back to that verse, but now look at verse 4. I will go down with you to Egypt. There's emphasis there. He says the same thing twice. He wants to make sure he gets it. I'm going to go with you to Egypt, and I will bring you back. And Joseph will close your eyes before you die or when you die. Now, God had already hinted at some of this to Abraham a long time ago, and and, and maybe Jacob didn't connect these dots, But, but let's connect them real quick. Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 and 14. It's, it's God, through prophecy, telling Abraham what's going to happen later on. And now, right before our eyes, right here with Jacob in Genesis 46, we get to see the fulfillment of that prophecy. Hundreds of years later, so this is proof, again, of God being sovereign. He's got this. He's walking with them. He's guiding these events. Listen to what he tells Abraham in Genesis 15. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know this for certain. Your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them, and they will be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nation that they serve, and afterward they will go out with many possessions. That's what's happening here. It's finally that moment is arriving where God is saying, all right, Jacob, you're going to go to that land that doesn't belong to you. And you're going to live there. And we remember here with Jacob in Genesis 15, he says they're going to be enslaved and oppressed. But he says, I want you to go there. Why? Because I'm going to be with you. Remember the promises of God throughout Genesis. I'm going to give you Land and I'm going to give you people, right? Land and people, land and people. Well, now what does God say? To kind of flip things on its head, he says, listen, yeah, you're going to have people, but it ain't going to be in this land. I'm kind of glad Jacob didn't connect the dots because he might have said, I would have to God. Hey, hold on a minute. I'm in the land, right? You you told me this was going to be the land and, and we're here, just make a great nation right here. Everything's great. It's almost like you, you ever heard someone say, we're going to take one step forward and two steps backwards? That's what's happening in Jacob's life right here. God's literally saying to him, I'm going to, I'm going to take you one step forward, two steps backwards. I'm taking you out of the land. I'm not going to make you a great nation here. I'm going to make you in a great nation on the banks of the Nile River. Remember, before in Genesis, some of the patriarchs were... They were scolded for going to Egypt, right? God said, don't go to Egypt, to Isaac. He went anyway. And here he's telling Jacob, I want you to go down there. Here's the message in that. God's faithfulness, his promises, and his presence is not tied to a geographic location. God was telling him, I'm going to be with you whether you're in this land or whether you're in Egypt. You know, there's very few things that I hope you always remember from things I tell you. A lot of it, I don't want, you don't need to remember it. It's okay. But there's one thing I, I say a lot, and, and I, it's a broken record, but I mean it because it, it means so much to me, and I want you to hear it. Listen carefully. God is always with us, but we need to be reminded of his presence. You hear my voice squeak. I got so excited. Listen, he's always with you. You don't got to ask God to be with you. You don't have to ask God to be with a person in their sickness. You don't have to ask God to be with you when you go in that job interview. Listen, just like you, you know, we heap up words when we pray. We say the same thing over and over again. And sometimes there's bad theology behind those words. There's bad theology when we say, God, be be with me when I go to work today. Uh, God, be with me when I go uh, into that hard conversation. Listen, God's with you. He's with you. The problem is we forget that he's with us. So pray this instead. Say, God, I know you're with me. That's an act of worship, right? That's worship right there. God, I know who you are. But then there's a recognition of who I am. God, forgive me for forgetting that sometimes. And how about you remind me of that today? And then you see how God works in your life then. You see how God answers that prayer. But Jacob wasn't going to be alone, not certainly he wasn't alone when it came to God's presence, but there's a little more here. He wasn't going to be alone when it came to other people either. God was going to surround him with people as he saw the promises of God unfold. So notice this third truth. We live out our faith in community with God's people. I'm not going to read verses 5 and 6 to you again, but I want you to see verse 7 says there, his sons and his grandsons, his daughters and granddaughters, indeed all his offspring, he brought them with him down to Egypt. And then there's a genealogy that follows in verses 8 through 27. Again, giving the list of the sons and the grandsons. And I'm at 27 minutes and 38 seconds right now. I think we're going to walk through this genealogy together. Y'all want to do that? Name by name. You ready, Leslie? You want to do this? No, we're not going to do that. Listen, here's the point of the genealogy. When you come to these, know there's a reason. And generally the reason, the way you know what the reason behind it is is you look at the verses before it and the verses after it. Uh, when a list of names occurs in the Bible, what it's telling us is there's some emphasis going on. There's a point of transition in Genesis. Remember, we saw this kind of thing happen between Genesis 11 and 12. Remember, way back then, right? We're seeing transitions between the families, we're seeing transitions between how God is dealing with people. It's significant. So, right here, it's significant because what God is saying is I've given you a family, I've given you a community. Maybe it's not as numerous as the sands on the seashore just yet, but guess what? I've given you some people. What does that mean for us today? It means that we don't live out our faith in isolation. It means that, yes, God has dealt with individuals, and yes, that's what he's doing here with Jacob, but when he deals with an individual, it's always for the purpose of calling them into community with others. This is a sore spot for me, probably since COVID. And uh, I'm a, we don't live stream our services right now, but we do have a sermon podcast. We we got a grand total of six subscribers. Four of those are my family, <laughs> so there might be two of those drop off. I don't know, but 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 listen, he, he, here's what I want to tell you. And you're in the room, so we're preaching to the choir. But here's what I want to tell you: don't don't ever forget this, just in case we go through a pandemic again. Listen. Lone Ranger Christianity is a lie from the enemy. That's it. You cannot, it is not biblical to live out your faith apart from believers. Yes, you can be a child of God and not be coming to church faithfully, but let let me tell you something, that's not the way God designed it to be. We see again and again God deals with groups of people. He writes letters to specific churches by the hand of Paul. Why? Because there were specific churches to write to. We live out our faith in community with each other, and that's happening right here in Genesis 46. All right, got to hurry. This chapter concludes with Jacob and his family. They arrive on the fringes of Egypt by the time we get to verse 28, and there's a beautiful reunion that takes place. Here's what we see in that reunion. When we have peace we experience God's promises. When we have peace, we experience God's promises. Look with me at verses 28 through 30. We've been waiting for this moment. Let's look at it together. Now Jacob had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to prepare for his arrival at Goshen. When they came to the land of Goshen, Joseph hitched the horses to his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. Joseph presented himself to him threw his arms around him and wept for a long time. And then Israel said this to Joseph, I'm ready to die now because I have seen your face and you're still alive. That's pretty. That's good. Here's the truth behind it. God made a way. God made a way for Jacob's peace. God made a way for his peace. Listen, only God could have written this story. I think when we started this Joseph narrative, I told you that that Hollywood even is amazed by what takes place in this narrative. That they couldn't write a script quite like this. And I mean that because only God could accomplish this. And Jacob knew that, and Joseph knew that. That was the the root behind the tears they were crying. know this also, following Joseph's disappearance, we've seen Jacob along the way. He's been filled with bitterness. He's been filled with anxiety. He's been filled with skepticism and hopelessness. We've seen all of that. He's never had real hope up until this moment. And that's why he said, I've seen your face. And now I can die. But God wasn't done. Verses 31 through 34. Look at it with me. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's family, I will go up and inform Pharaoh, telling him, my brothers and my father's family who were in the land of Canaan have now come to me. Remember, this was Pharaoh who had, he had given this invitation, and now they are here. Verse 32, the men are shepherds. This is critical. They also raise livestock. They have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh addresses you and asks, what is your occupation? You are to say, your servants, both we and our fathers, we've raised livestock from our youth until now. And then, Joseph says, you will be allowed to settle in the land of Goshen since all the shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. All right, a lot of cultural stuff here. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Uh, when I went to Nepal last year, all right, Nepal is a closed country to missionaries. And you say, well, "How'd you get there?" Well, Madison's there serving. He's on a work visa, so he's got a business, and so they let him be there and be a missionary while he's got the work visa thing going on. So, to be a short-term missionary, you got to come through. And, and this is not a lie; it's true because. Nepal is a very touristy kind of place. You go in and you say, when you go to the visa counter, you say, I'm a tourist. And I'm going to do some tourism. I'm going to go see the sights. But here's what I don't do. I don't go to the counter and say, I am a missionary and I have come here to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're going to put you back on the plane and send you back to America, okay? So there's some instructions Madison gave me ahead of time. He said, listen, say this and you'll get in. That's exactly what's happening here. Uh, Joseph's saying to his dad, listen. I know he gave you the invitation, but if he finds out you're a shepherd, he's not going to let you in. Oh, I'm sorry. If if he finds out you're a shepherd and you try to live with us, he's not going to let you in, okay? Because through all of this, God's working out some details, and he's putting some things in place so that they can have a place of their own. That's the point. And here's the truth behind that. God was working all these details out a long time ago because it was truth that they were shepherds. It was truth when he said, We've been doing this from our youth. And because of that, they were going to get to have a land of their own and they were going to get to thrive. As we turn the pages of Scripture, we see that they did become a great nation right there on the banks of the Nile River. Why? Here's the big truth for every one of us today. Write this down God ultimately makes a way for our peace. Our peace. How does he do this? It's not just about Joseph. It's not just about Jacob. It's not just about Abraham or Isaac. It's about God's glory. And most importantly, it's about his gospel. Here's what happens through this family. From Judah, who is prominently featured here, we have the line of Judah. We have a way for our peace. You see how all that comes full circle? It wasn't just about their peace or their prosperity, or their thriving, God, so many years ago, had the roots for our redemption planted. And he said, I'm making a way for your peace. Let me wrap up by asking you a question. And and this is primarily for believers, probably. Does your life, as you're living it right now, reflect that you have a firm grasp on the promises of God? Does your conduct reflect that you have a firm grasp on the promises of God? Does your hope in these uncertain times that we live in, does it reflect that you've got a firm grip on God's presence and his promises? Your worship. When you worship, are you reminded of what God's done for you? What about when you're living in Christian community with others? Does it reflect that this is a community that r- understands the promises of God? Or what about your personal peace, whatever mess you're walking through? Does it reflect that you have remembered the promises of God? Here's the invitation for you today. Number one, if you're not a follower of God, if you've never trusted Jesus, uh, we've got to get that right. And so I invite you to come. I invite you to give your life to Christ. I invite you to to understand what real peace is, what the real promises of God are, and surrender your life to Him. But if you are a child of God, I also invite you to come. I invite you to make an altar right right here or right where you are. It doesn't matter. And say, God, I, I remember all that you've done. Yes, I'm going through these hard things, but God, I remember who you are. And I come to you and I thank you for who you are. I commit my life to you, fresh and anew, and and I'm going to walk forward through uncertain times with a renewed sense of hope and peace. Why? Because I know that you've got these promises for me, the same ones that you had for Jacob. And so as we sing, I encourage you to do that. You can come forward. I'll meet you right here. If you're walking through a particular burden and you're like, hey, uh, I need to talk to you, I would love to have a conversation and pray with you and pray for you and spend some time with you, or you can do it right where you are. I invite you to stand.